Hi, my name is Ruben Porter. I'm the lead pastor here at Crossroads Church, and it's great to have you on our podcast today. We hope this message encourages you, builds you up in your faith, and ultimately brings you closer to Jesus. Enjoy. How are we this morning? Good. Hey, uh, just uh, always like to start by just saying, like, what a privilege it is uh, to, to, to be up here and, and speaking with you. You know, um, I came to uh, Palmy seven years ago now, which is crazy to think. Um, I came here not knowing anybody um, as a university student, and uh, this place has just proven to, to become my home and become a family. Uh, and so I'm so grateful to be able to um, speak with you this morning. Kind of a real privilege. Hey, uh, I have, I've come to realize the importance of consistency. The importance of consistency. Um, we're at the start of uh, another new year. And for me, uh, that, means, that means goals. Um, Pastor Isaac, last week, he started by saying how desperately he'd, uh, he'd, he'd tried to not veer his sermon towards talking about resolutions and goals. Um, but I'm going to dive straight in uh, because I, I love a resolution. I love a New Year goal because they give me drive. Um, they allow me to reflect on the year that's been, what went right, what went wrong. allows me to identify what direction I think I need to be heading in this year. Love resolutions. I'm all about them. Um, I think they need to be smart, right? Uh, they need to be attainable and measurable. Um, I think there needs to be a bit of grace built into the system when we're, when we're setting them. But I do. I love them. Um, but as years have gone by, uh, and, and I've set these goals for, for the year, what I've come to learn is that it's, it's very easy to create unrealistic and unattainable end goals that are, that are really hard to achieve because they don't sort of have a process attached to them. They have a desired outcome, uh, but the framework for getting to that isn't very clear. So, for example, like, I would love to have a six-pack of abs. It seems to have been on my list for a few years now. Um, or something else like, I want to be a more generous person. It's probably a better one for church. Um, I want to be a more generous person by the end of the year. Um, these are admirable outcomes, right? But they're shocking goals uh, because they do not lay out what must take place uh, for the outcome to be achieved. Uh, and so what I've learned as I've, I've been setting new goals each year is that instead of setting an end goal, uh, I need to set a goal that I can consistently achieve. Uh, so if I want a six-pack, uh, then I'm going to need to be consistently doing X amount of sit-ups per week. That becomes my goal. Um, I, I want to be a more generous person. Great. That means consistently each week I'm going to need to identify three opportunities to bless someone with the resources God has given to me. Right? That's, that becomes the goal. And so it's about what small thing I can do consistently that will move me toward where I want to be. And uh, and yeah, consistency, I've learned that consistency in, in all areas of my life is just so, so important. Um, one of my all-time favorite teachers of leadership is Craig Rochelle, and he says often, this is a man, right, that he lives and breathes consistency, it's crazy, but he says all the time, uh, successful leaders do consistently what others do occasionally. I love that. Consistent, uh, sorry, successful leaders do consistently what others do occasionally. And I've come to learn that I, I want to surround myself with people who are consistent. They're the best type of people to be around because I, I reckon consistency, right, it creates security. You think about the, the, the most important characteristic you could have as a parent. Now, I'm not a parent and I'm not offering advice here, but I, I think consistency could be right up there. A child needs to know that, that through those circumstances in, in their life that it might change, that you will be consistent. 
consistently loving, a consistent provider, consistent in the way that you correct them. I would think a consistent parent is one that gives security to their children, right? Anyone ever had a, an inconsistent boss? I have. It's not Reuben, don't worry. <laughs> but right, it's terrible, right? Because you're, you're walking around on eggshells like, like, what Brian are we going to have today? Are we going to have grumpy Brian or party Brian, hungover Brian? Uh, sorry, Brian's. Uh, I want to be around people who regulate themselves, who work hard to be consistent. Um, and so we're going to dive into today's scripture. Uh, this summer, we're, we're working our way through the Sermon on the Mount. And uh, this is uh, a cool piece of scripture. It's the longest piece of dialogue that we hear from Jesus throughout his time on earth. And, and what he's doing is he's, he's really laying out to those gathered um, there on that day what the kingdom of heaven is all about and how the kingdom uh, of heaven that Jesus is inviting them into differs from culture, uh, the culture that surrounds these people uh, and indeed you and I today. And uh, in today's scripture, which is Matthew 5, 17 to 20, if you're making your way there, um, Jesus highlights, I believe, the consistency of God to us. Um, you know, Jesus' life was, was bringing about a lot of change for this people, these people. You know, you think about it, the life of Jesus would change the whole sacrificial system that was drilled into the Jewish people. It would change the way they could encounter the God that they worshipped. I mean, already, right, they, they, they were witnessing God in the flesh through his son, Jesus. And then when Jesus eventually um, leaves the earth, the Holy Spirit would then become accessible to all believers. Uh, so you can see, you know, there is so much changing and about to change for those who, who chose to follow Jesus, and it would affect how they would operate. Uh, but in the sermon that, that Jesus has given, Jesus teaches them that despite this change, none of that means that God has changed in any way. Rather, his character and, and his word always remains constant. And I, I want to take it a little bit further today as well and say that we as Jesus followers are called to adopt lives of consistency. I want to tell you what I, I mean by that. So let's jump in. Matthew 5, 17 to 20. It says, Don't misunderstand why I have come. I did not come to abolish the law of Moses or the writings of the prophets. No, I came to accomplish their purpose. I tell you the truth, until heaven and earth disappear, not even the smallest detail of God's law will disappear until its purpose is achieved. So if you ignore the least commandment and teach others to do the same, you will be called the least in the kingdom of heaven. But anyone who obeys God's laws and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. And he says, but I warn you, unless your righteousness is better than the righteousness of the teachers of religious law and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Okay, wow, there's a lot in that scripture for just three verses, isn't there? Um, but can you see, I wonder, why I've pointed out God's constant character as a theme in this passage. Jesus in his sermon has brought up the, the Old Testament law given to Moses. He's brought up the writings of the Old Testament prophets. And he said, oh, by the way, yes, I've come to give you freedom. Yes, I've come to offer you a new way to the Father. Yes, some of the systems and practices that you have been performing will change somewhat. But don't, please don't get me wrong. Please don't think that this overrides or in any way undermines the law that my Father gave to you as a people. As, as Christians, we often use that terminology, don't we? We say he's the same yesterday, today, and forever, and we, and we rejoice in that, and so we should. Um, what we're doing is we're rejoicing in his constancy and his consistency. And 
Jesus was pointing out that because that is true, his word in the time of Moses was just as true as when Jesus walked the earth, and it is just as true now. And this is a sort of constancy that I don't think we, we find elsewhere in secular culture, right? Because, you know, when, when, when Moses uh, met God on Mount Sinai and God gave the Israelites the Ten Commandments, what God had gifted them in that moment was the ability to understand what was right and wrong. He was saying, these laws, they, they reflect my character, so I, I want you to adhere to them and defend them. And when you do, your lives will be enriched and, and your families will benefit. I, I, and I don't think there's a, an equivalent in secularity because uh, where there is no unwavering truth, no, no marker to say, hey, this is how you should live, where there is no shepherd leading the way, I think kind of a, a, a state of chaos is created because what can be called rights is, is now up for debate. How is anyone to decide what is moral or immoral? And, and we see this around the world, don't we, through different cultures, different religions, different generations, there are all these differences in what is considered just and what is considered right. And you hear people say things like, you know, get with the times. You're in 2024. But the beauty and the, and the gift of God's law and, and what he's given to them is that it remains true throughout time. And Jesus wanted his followers to know it. Many things would change for them, but the word of their God would remain. And for us, you know, the, the Word of God may change in its popularity. It may be more polarizing in some cultures more than others, in some generations more than others. And we're to handle the Word of God with love and grace when we share it into those places. But its integrity has to be protected because its relevance, its power, and its authority has never wavered and it has never changed. And Jesus was abundantly clear. He said, I, I tell you the truth, until heaven and earth disappear, not even the smallest detail of God's law will disappear until its purpose is achieved. And so my first point today is this. If you're writing down notes, you can jot this down. My first point is we ought to know it. We, we ought to know it. Church, if the, if the law is intact, if the truth remains relevant, if Jesus considered as, as not just important but crucial, uh, it becomes pretty clear to me that we need to know what it says and what it means for us. Now, I'm a bit nervous about this next part because I've got an exercise for us to try, right? I, I, and I need you to come along with me because um, I'd be mortified if you didn't. But I need you all to stand up. And we're going to do some hymn practice. And uh, I know you know the song, and so I, I need you to come along with me. So when you know it, just come in with me. It goes like this. Jesus loves me, this I know for the... Beautiful. Let's do it again. Jesus loves me, this I know, for the You can stop there. That's cool. Or give yourself a hand. That's awesome. Did you catch that, though? Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so, right? The Bible tells us so. And uh, church, the, the truth uh, that we in this tiled world so desperately needs is held within this book. The truth we need, uh, the love we need, the guidance, the, the promises, the hope we need is found in his holy book. It's in his law. And so I think we ought to know what it tells us, what it says about us. In Matthew 4.4, 4, it says, 
Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. So the word of God is the sustenance, the the carbohydrates, so to speak, that will fuel us and encourage us in our faith. But, you know, I was looking at some statistics, and unfortunately, as as a global church, we are becoming more and more malnourished when it comes to being in the Word of God. Um, A 2020 Lifeway study found that only 32% of Americans who attend a Protestant church say that they read the Bible personally on a regular basis. 32%. That's a worrying statistic. You know, we are inundated with options to read and process the Bible. Now, now more than ever, uh, there are accessible ways for people to be in Scripture. There are options for people of different languages, reading abilities. You can listen to the Bible. There are translations that help to simplify the words for the reader. We have an excess of, of Bible study tools available to us. And yet, we are becoming more and more illiterate in our biblical knowledge. Many of you will be uh, watching keenly as artificial intelligence becomes more and more prominent uh, in just about everything we do, right? Uh, We're seeing this technology just pop up in in all sorts of places. Um, We have virtual assistants. Our social media feeds are packed with artificial intelligence that's dictating the sort of content that we are consuming. Uh, with the rise of things like ChatGPT now, like u- university students can just enter their, their essay questions into a search bar, and just seconds later they're offered a fully worded and researched essay paper that's unique to anything else. And listen, I, I don't want to sound all doom and gloom. AI, you know, it, it has many potential benefits. There's some incredible things that will be able to be accomplished with this sort of technology. But I think the well-known danger of artificial intelligence is that we stop thinking for ourselves. We, uh, we forget how to be inquisitive, how to research and communicate with others to problem solve. And, and I believe that the church is facing a very similar crisis. But instead of artificial intelligence being the issue, the threat for us is artificial intimacy. Because at our fingertips, we have expertly packaged sermons podcasts, books, YouTube videos, you know, TikTok and Instagram even have a huge range of Christian content for us, and these are all fantastic things. I I love them. I'm I'm all about podcasts and sermons. It's almost a hobby for me. I want to learn and grow from others and learn the wisdom that they have accumulated. The problem I see arising is that many of us are using these things as our, our primary source of truth and our primary interaction with God's Word. And what we're doing when we do this is we're trying to live off of somebody else's revelation, somebody else's fire, somebody else's intimacy and encounter with God. It's artificial. It's, it's secondhand intimacy. And, you know, I, I think sometimes there, there is actually something quite beautiful about sort of a borrowed faith. We, we see this with kind of children who are raised in a, in a Christian home. For a while, these children, they, they will operate out of their parents' faith. I think that's beautiful. Sometimes when we're going through particularly tough seasons of our life, there is a necessity to lean on the faith of others around you. That's just called the church, and I love that. But I think borrowed faith becomes unhealthy when it stays borrowed. And Jesus wants your heart. He wants your trust and your faith. He wants you to encounter him firsthand, understand his love for you firsthand. In the, in the office this week, we've been talking a lot about the word encounter, and uh, we've been having this discussion of, hey, what is it that creates a true heart change in somebody's life? 
You know, when a non-believer becomes a believer and receives the Spirit of God, what is it that creates that change in someone? And we settled on this word, encounter. We, we agreed it has to be through an encounter with the living God that we would feel the burden of our sin and understand our necessity for a Savior. But, you know, I, I've had a tricky relationship with this word encounter in the past because I don't know what comes to mind when you hear it, but, you know, my head would sort of tend to go to the idea of kind of being slain in the Spirit or, or big room moments where the presence of God is just so thick and tangibly moving. Maybe healing encounters, things, things like that. And listen, I, I long for those moments with God. Anytime those moments happen, I could sit there for hours. But I think that might be too narrow of a view of encounter. Because if we believe the pages of these scriptures to be true and to be the living, breathing word of God, then every time we open the pages of this book, we are afforded the opportunity to encounter the Most High God. Isn't that beautiful? You know, sometimes it might feel like all preachers ever tell you to do is read your Bible and pray more. But I reckon there's a reason for it. You know, intimacy is the byproduct of proximity. And when you get yourself into the Word of God, you get in proximity with them, and you make way for an encounter with God. I believe as Jesus followers, we ought to know the Scriptures. We ought to cling to them. And so to bring it back to the theme of consistency this morning, I don't think there are many things more important than developing a structure for us to habitually be in his word. My challenge for us as a church as we kick off this year is that we would be an outlier to the 32%, that we would be a church that consistently opens the word of God and meditates on its truth because it was just as true at the time of Moses and as it is now. Jesus did not come to abolish the law, but he came to fulfill it. And just quickly before I, I move on, I, I just want to say that I do think it is easy to over-romanticize what, what being in the Scriptures daily looks like, right? And by that, I don't mean that the Scripture won't be life-giving, that it won't be refreshing, that it won't provide peace. I believe it will. But I mean that there will be some work required from us. You know, when we get into the Scriptures, we are reading a book that was not written in our cultural context. It is complex. It is mind-boggling at times. We will have lots of questions. It will grate with the society around us. We'll get confused. We'll have to work to talk it over with others and not just give up when it's too hard. It won't always feel like that Instagram moment with our cup of tea for 10 minutes. It might be uncomfortable, but that's natural. But we know that it brings life, and its promises brings life. And like any good thing, it will require sacrifice and it will require commitment. I just wanted to add that in before we move on. Let's be consistent readers of the law. Uh, my second point of the day uh, when it comes to the timeless and consistent word of God is, is that we're called to live it. And so we ought to know it and we're called to live it. In our scripture from Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says, but anyone who obeys God's laws and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. And so it's important that we not just know the word, but that we live it. Jesus is asking us for our obedience. He was pointing back to the laws that God gave to Moses, and he was saying, you know, please don't assume that these are obsolete because they were given to you for good reason. I wanted you to have them and to adhere to them for, uh, for your good and for the good of those around you. 
And if we want, you know, the blessing of the God who, who leads us to green pastures, who has good plans for us, not plans of harm, if we want to be in proximity with a God who has the authority to come, whatever sea or storm we might be in, I believe it goes hand in hand with a healthy fear of God and of his law. Uh, you know, as a young believer, I had uh, the temptation to believe that the law of God was, was merely a restriction. Uh, this moral code that my parents had, had taught me to uphold would mean that I wouldn't be able to indulge in, in what my friends were doing. Uh, I, I was taught uh, that this was right and that this was good, but, you know, it did really seem to me that my school friends were having a much better Friday night than I was. This law felt like a restriction to me. But what I've noticed as my, my faith has matured is the blessing that is found in simple obedience. And as I've grown in my faith, what I've found is that I cannot treat my obedience to God as, as payment for his favor, for his blessing, for things going right in my life. I can't wait for him to, to be good for me and then offer him my submission. It's, it's quite the opposite. What I've found is that when I put my trust in Christ, when I offer him my obedience, then I begin to see his blessing in my life. And, and, and be very clear, that is not to say my obedience is the reason that God watches over me, cares for me, loves me, has grace for me. I'd be in big trouble if that were the case. But when we consistently make choices in our days to put the word of God and what he asks of us first in our lives, we will begin to understand the importance and the significance of what God has asked of us. See, when I was 16, being obedient to, to what God had asked for me just seemed restrictive. I mean, you know, I wouldn't be able to sleep around like my mates. I mean, I'd be the sober driver for my friends that were having the better night than me. It meant that I wouldn't have the option of dating some of the girls I would have liked to. It, was, it just felt restrictive. But I couldn't have been more wrong because as I've endeavored, endeavored to align with God's word, understand it, get in proximity with them, I've grown to understand the freedom that obedience brings into my life. Understand that what felt like restriction then will one day, you know, let me walk into, into my one day family with so much less complication. It will allow me to be a better husband, better father. It's mean I, I, I haven't had to learn to rely on substances or alcohol to enrich my life because I've found all the joy I'll ever need. And so there is so much blessing in simple obedience. As Christ followers, we are called to obey and uphold the word of God, treat it with the respect that it is due. Jesus Christ did not come to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. So obedience is asked of us because we worship a God who wants the best for us. And so once again, we're called to consistency, to a consistent effort to practice the word of God in our habits and in all that we do. But of course, you know, uh, obedience is usually not the easy option. It's usually not what comes naturally to us. Um, I, I, I read the story of a woman called uh, Catherine Wolfe recently, and her faith really inspired me. Um, Catherine was a university graduate. She was newly married. She had a uh, six-month-old baby, and her career was out to a, a strong start. But at just 26 years old, uh, she fell in her living room, and she suffered from a major brainstem stroke. She wasn't expected to live. Uh, to save her life, more than half of her cerebellum had to be removed. Uh, the surgery took more than 16 hours, and she miraculously survived. But for two months, she lay unconscious, and for 40 days, she stayed in intensive care. 
She took 18 months to learn to walk and talk again. She went through years of rehabilitation alongside 10 subsequent surgeries. Her body has never fully healed from the stroke. She still lives with long-term limitations. She's partially deaf. She can't swallow normally or see well. Part of her face shows the effect of paralysis. Her speech is slurred, and she mostly still has to use a wheelchair to get around. Now, these are circumstances that most of us will never have to face. The obvious option for Catherine would have been to hold a grudge toward God. It would have been easy for her to adopt a transactional kind of obedience to God. Well, Lord, if you would just heal me, then I could serve you so much better. Then I'll obey you so much better. But, but that's not what she chose to do. Instead, she consistently chose to wake up each morning and ask him, how can I give you glory from this? And she's since written two books and preached sermons that have resonated with those who are suffering all around the world. And she's founded a camp for those with disabilities to hear the redemptive power of Jesus. And her life has had this major kingdom impact, one that she acknowledges that she would never have been able to have and never thought she would have. That is an incredible type of faith and an incredible obedience. I'm sure she would have had days of, of bitterness, days where the reality of her set of circumstances were all too much, but she chose to step into obedience each day, consistently making small steps to ask God, uh, ask God what he wanted of her. Small decisions to believe the promise of, uh, promises of Scripture can work all things together for the good of those who love him. And her faith is incredible. The habits and the mindsets that she has managed to put in place are inspiring. Her consistency and her determination should be commended. But do you know what? Catherine's obedience wasn't of her own strength, was it? And there was someone else who filled the deficit for her. I think just about all of us will be able to point to something in our lives uh, that has taken our plans off track a little. It's a symptom of life, and, and during these times, it's easy to adopt a transactional kind of obedience. It's easy to take hold of bitterness, and if we're living and breathing, then we all feel victim to our sinful nature. But when we call on the power of the Holy Spirit, we are enabled to do what our willpower and our habits could never do. And so the final point that I want to make uh, from today's scripture is this. We get to rest in it. When it comes to God's word, we ought to know it, we're called to live it, and we get to rest in it. And I want to speak on this from the last passage of our scripture, um, and, and it's going to take some unpicking. Verse 20, it says, But I warn you, uh, unless your righteousness is better than the righteousness of the teachers of religious law and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. That's a lofty uh, verse there, and please understand that that verse would have been startling and confronting to those listening to Jesus. You know, the scribes and the Pharisees of the day, they lived up to the letter of the law the best that they could. They prided themselves on being strict adherers to the law of God. And Jesus is saying, your righteousness better be better than theirs. And the people of Jesus' day had to have been like, well, what do you mean? <laughs> Our righteousness can't be better than the Pharisees and the scribes. Those people just live and breathe the word of God, and they're always living up to these regulations as best that they could. These were the people in those days who were the most righteous. So when Jesus says, your righteousness better exceed theirs, in that moment they were no doubt thinking, well, how in the world could that happen? 
But see, that's exactly why he said it, isn't it? Because he wanted them to recognize that, no, we can't make that happen. Not in our own effort. And so Jesus, when speaking about the scribes and the Pharisees, was really saying, you need me. You need me. Every single one of us has sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And so we ought to know the law, we're called to live it, but through God's grace, we get to rest in it. In Paul's address to the Romans, he, he wrote possibly, I think, the most relatable uh, piece of scripture. I believe it's true of each and every one of our experiences. I'm just going to invite the band up. This is what he said. He said, I don't really understand myself, for I, I want to do what is right, but I don't do it. Instead, I do what I hate. But if I know that, that what I am doing is wrong, this shows that I agree that the law is good. So I am not the one doing wrong. It is sin living in me that does it. And, and I know that nothing good lives in me that is in my sinful nature. I want to do what is right, but I can't. I want to do what is good, but I don't. I don't want to do what is wrong, but I do it anyway. But if I do what I don't want to do, I'm not really the one doing wrong. It is sin living in me that does it. And then he says this, I, I've discovered the principle of life. That when I want to do what is right, I inevitably do what is wrong. I love God's law with all my heart, but there is another power within me that is at war with my mind. This power makes me a slave to the sin that is still within me. Oh, what a miserable man I am. Who will free me from this life that is dominated by sin and death? Come on, if you can't relate to that piece of scripture, I'm going to need to come and check your pulse. You know, our, our willpower and the consistent habits that we put in place, they'll get us so far. But at the end of the day, it won't stack up to what's required of us. The penalty, penalty of sin is still death and the significance of God's law still stands. But hallelujah, Paul didn't stop writing at verse 24 when he said, who will free me from this life that is dominated by sin and death? But he continued writing and in verse 25, he said, well, thank God. The answer is in Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Praise the Lord that we've got a Savior that wants us free from our wrestle with sin, who wants us to live in abundance and wants, us, wants to see the shackles of the world fall off of our lives. We've got a Savior whose death on a cross and triumphant resurrection has defeated death once and for all so that we get to rest in His Word, rest in His truth. Know the blessing, not the restriction, but the blessing of His law. And in this beautifully written sermon, Jesus wants us to see that His grace, while all-sufficient and wholly necessary, is not a replacement to the law. He wants us to understand that the law is still the way he wants us to live, that his undeserved grace and his undying truth go hand in hand. You know, I heard it put recently uh, that for too long the church preached truth without love, and the truth without love is harsh. So our culture responded and preached love without truth. Problem with that is love without truth is a lie. And he's given us both because of his grace and because of his mercy we get to find rest in his truth one of my favorite scriptures when i talk about worship and obedience is romans 12 1 many of you will know it 
says, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. And this week as I read it, God showed me something that I hadn't seen in this light before. The words, in view of God's mercy, just jumped off the page at me. You know, the verse teaches us that our obedience and sacrifice with our physical lives here on earth is really the only fitting response to the grace and the mercy that God has given to us. And that is powerful. It tends to be what I focus on. But this time when I read it, I got so excited when I saw the words, in view of God's mercy. Because it paints the perfect picture that God's grace and God's law were never meant to be separated. That as we meditate on the scriptures that he's given to us, we do so through a wonder of the grace he supplies to us. The two are interwoven and beautifully linked together, made to be viewed through the same lens. Truth without love is harsh. Love without truth is a lie. But when viewed together, we understand more fully the goodness of our God. And when it comes to the word of God, when it comes to his law, I believe we ought to know it. We're called to live it, and praise the Lord, we get to rest in it. As we enter into 2024, some of us might be full of ambition. Others might be carrying in some pain and some baggage. 2023 might have been a tough year for you. And whatever your experience is coming in, there is a promise for you in this book. There is revelation waiting for you, and the best gift I believe you could ever give yourself is forming habits and consistency of getting in the Word of God to put yourself in a position for encounter and for personal revelation. Seek to day after day place God first and honor Him with your obedience and find rest and a peace in a Savior who takes your best try and chooses to clothe you in His perfect righteousness. Would you stand with me? A preacher um, at the Passion Young Adults Conference that's just taken place over in the States, uh, in their message, they shared some words that they they keep at the front of their Bible. And uh, I want to end on them. I want to use them as our call to action as we finish. They speak of the gift of the Word of God. And they say this, This Word is active and alive. Although the grass will wither and it will fade, this is what will remain forever. This is your sword to fight with. No other weapon formed against it will prosper. This will pierce through bone and marrow. And here there are promises and purpose. There are plans not to harm you, but to give you hope in a future. When you read it, you will find hope and peace that surpasses all understanding. You will find eternal life and wildly needed real love. Cling to this. And let it be the foundation of your life. You will have a confident security. Obey it. Learn it. Believe it. Receive it. Preach it. Be it. Father God, we're grateful for uh, your word, Lord. Uh, We're grateful for the truth that it holds for us, Lord. The blessing of your Lord, Lord that when we obey your your word because you've put it there for our good, Lord, that we will see blessing in our lives. And so we're thankful for your truth. And Lord, we're thankful for your grace. We're thankful that we can rest in your truth, knowing that we will never make up the difference. We will never justify ourselves, Lord. 
but because of your son, Jesus. And what he did on the cross, we get to rest in your truth and we get to know you personally. And so we want to worship you. Thanks for listening to the Crossroads Church Podcast. If you'd like any more information on our church, how to give, or after this message you'd like to talk to someone, you can find everything you'll need to know on our website, crossroads.co.nz. Make sure you subscribe to this channel to keep up to date with new content, but thanks again, and we'll catch you soon.